This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. You know, if you got a letter that came from Tanzania, that's something that's very special about that letter. You might look at that envelope and you might see how beat up it is and you might wonder how many people handled this letter before it reached me. And when you see who wrote the letter, when you see who wrote you, that's a time when you might even feel a certain link, a certain connection with that person who wrote you that moment. You would imagine that person sat down, that person just thought of you on their mind, that thought of the person thought about what he wanted to say to you, then he crafted the words to express what he wanted to say, then he wrote the thing in the form of a letter, and then you're holding in your hand, you're holding in land, and then you think, boy, it took a lot of trouble for him to write that letter, write that envelope, put that postage on it, put it in the mail, and there you are holding it in your hand. And, and, and you know that when you have it in your hand, it's more than just a letter, it's an expression of the heart. And someone sat down to write that to you, and you wanna give that person the same respect, the same attention that he gave to you when he wrote that letter. So you take the letter, and you don't just sit there and read it at the mailbox, you take it to a quiet place where you can put all your attention into reading that letter as you sit down and you read the letter that was written just for you. Now imagine that God has sent you a letter and he's done just that. Only instead of the letter coming in a paper envelope, he sent the letter to us in this form, a book called the Bible. And in the same way as getting a personal letter in the mail, God has made his Bible to be personal, personal letter to each one of us. And then in the same way, before we open the, uh, a letter and we first look at the return address to see the sender, we pick up the Bible. Before we open it, we look at the Bible and we realize this letter came a long way from heaven to us. 
And just like we look at the envelope and we wonder how far did that letter come? How many people handled that letter? We do the same thing with the Bible as we look and we see how God inspired prophets to transcribe his letter. And those prophets were in locations of the Sinai Desert, Israel, Turkey, Persia, Babylon, Greece, Rome, because those were all the places where the Bible was written by prophets who received it from God, and we say, wow, this Bible, this letter came to me all the way from heaven through Syria and Sinai and Israel and Turkey and Persia and Babylon and Greece and Rome all the way to me now, wow, just like I did when I got those that are from the States. And in the same way, we go from the return address on a letter to the name of the sender. We look at the Bible and we say, this letter came to us from God. God was the writer. And in the same way, when we get a personal letter in the mail, we feel a certain link with the sender before, we, and we feel when we read God's letter, the Bible, we have a particular connection with God as the sender, as the writer. And in the same way as with the personal letter, we think of the time that the sender had, when the sender had us in his mind, and the sender took the time to think about us and formulate his thinking into what he wanted to express to us, and then crafted his words and wrote it down on paper, and we realize how when God wrote the Bible, he had us in his mind, and he took the time to think about us, and he formulated his thinking about us, and he crafted his words perfectly to capture exactly what he wanted to say to us. And in the same way, when we get a personal letter and realize it's so special, we wanna take it and go to a certain quiet place where we won't be distracted, and where we can give that letter our total attention. It's only right because the writer took the time to do that for us. So we take the Bible as a letter that's so special to us, we go to a quiet place where we won't be distracted, where we can give it our complete attention. And the whole concept of receiving a letter from God is seen in verse one of Zechariah 7, verse one. Verse one, the word of the Lord came unto Zechariah. That's like Zechariah is checking his mailbox every day. He's waiting, he's hoping, he's anticipating for that letter from God, just like I did when I from those 50 states. And then one day, the letter came, and that was such a special day for Zechariah, just as it was for me when every day, that one day, that letter came from that state. Just as it was for me when I was eight years old, and it was such a special day, I got a reply from that state that I went down and so excited, my mom and I wrote down the date, I got that letter from this state and I put it on the list. And Zechariah did exactly the same thing. He wrote down the date when he got his special letter from God. He wrote it down in verse one. Verse one, when he said, the fourth year of the King Darius, that the word of the Lord came unto Zechariah in the fourth day of the ninth month, even in Kislev. That'd be year four of the year of Darius. That'd be the month Kislev, Kislev, and on day four. That was the date when Zechariah got his special letter from God, which by the way, was about two years after his first vision in Zechariah 1.1, Zechariah 1.1. And when Zechariah got that communication from God, he sprung into action. He sprung into action in verse two. 
He says, when they had sent, when they had sent into the house of God, Sherazah, Regamelech, and their men to pray before the Lord, Zechariah sent two men, very important men, very high-ranking men into the house of God. Those men took their men with them to the house of God for one purpose, and that was to pray before the Lord. Specifically, it says in verse two, and in Zechariah 8.21, and so in verse two, seven, two, and in, in Zechariah 8.21 and 22, uh, Zechariah 8.21 and Zechariah 8.22, and this verse in verse two, they were to pray before the Lord. That's an interesting phrase. Pray before the Lord. As a matter of fact, Zechariah is the only person in the Bible that is using that phrase, pray before the Lord. It's one thing to just pray. It's another thing to pray before the Lord. What does that mean, pray before the Lord? To pray before the Lord is to know that as you pray, his eye is on you and that your eye is on him. You are before the Lord. This prayer before the Lord is going to be our eternal practice as believers in heaven. So we wanna make sure that we get trained down here. It's part of our training for reigning, as Pastor Jim used to say, what we'll be doing in heaven. Because David wrote about that in Psalm 72, Psalm 27, 4, Psalm 27, 4. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. When it says that, to inquire in his temple, that brings out how prayer is not just what wilt thou do for me, prayer is also what wilt thou have me to do for thee. Now, it turns out that when Zechariah sent these men into the house of God to pray, that he gave them a question, a certain question. He didn't just say, go pray. He said, find out the answer to this question. And the question is verse three. Verse three, he says, you go to speak unto the priests which were in the house of the Lord of hosts and to the prophets saying, should I weep in the fifth month separating myself as I have done these so many years? The fifth month was important for them along with the whole group of Israel there. The fifth month was important for prayer and fasting and weeping as was also the fourth month and the seventh month and the 10th months of the year, because those were the months when all Israel fasted and they were called out those months, the fourth, the fifth, the seventh, the fifth, the tenth months were called out in verse 19, Zechariah 8, 19, Zechariah 8, 19, you get those four months. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the fast of the fourth month and the fast of the fifth, and the fast of the seventh, and the fast of the tenth shall be to the house of Judah, joy and gladness, cheerful feast. Those were four fasts during the year. Those were set times for four fasts in the year, in the months four, five, seven, and 10. What were those? Month four was the fast for when Jerusalem was destroyed. Jeremiah 52, 
Jeremiah 52, 6. Jeremiah 52, 6. And in the fourth month and the ninth day of the month, the famine was sore in the city so that there was no bread for the people of the land. Then the city was broken up and all the men of war fled and went forth out of the city by night by the way of the gate between the two walls, which is by the king's garden. Chaldeans were by the city round about. They went by the state of the plain. That was month four, the destruction of the city of Jerusalem. Month five, month five was when the temple was burned. That's given to us in Jeremiah 52.12, Jeremiah 52.12. Now in the fifth month, month five, in the fifth month and the 10th day of the month, which was the 19th year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came Nebuzaradan, captain of the guard, which served the king of Babylon on Jerusalem, and burned the house of the Lord and the king's house and all the houses of Jerusalem and all the houses of the great men burned he with fire. Month seven, month seven was when Gedaliah, who was the ruler that the Babylonians put in place, was killed. He was murdered in month seven. That's in 2 Kings 25, 2 Kings 25, 25, 2 Kings 25, 25. But it came to pass in the seventh month that Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, the son of Elishama, the seed royal, came and 10 men with him and smote Gedaliah that he died and the Jews and the Chaldeans that were with him in Mitzvah. That was in month seven. Month 10, month 10, these are not in chronological order. Month 10 was when Jerusalem was set under siege before it was destroyed, when it was set under siege. That's given to us in 2 Kings 25.1. 2 Kings 25.1, it came to pass in the ninth year of his reign in the 10th month, in the 10th day of the month, that Zember, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came and he and all his host against Jerusalem and pitched against it, and they built forts against it round about, and the city was besieged in the 11th year of King Zedekiah. King Zedekiah. And here in verse three, where we are, we see them asking God if they should continue this religious tradition or fasting or stop this religious tradition or custom of fasting. The fact that something has been done for a long time is no reason why it has to continue. It's just because something was done by way of tradition for a long time does not mean that it should continue. Now these men were sent by Zechariah to ask God if they should continue to do this traditional fast as they had. You know, the Jewish people have holidays, they have holidays, very important holidays like Passover and Purim and Hanukkah, and, and then not just normal holidays, then there's high holidays, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. You know, and Yom Kippur is a fast all day and a time to remember all the sins of the previous year. And then there's certain practices which are associated with the Jewish holidays. For example, the Seder meal at Passover or in the using of a noisemaker during Purim or lighting candles in Hanukkah or eating apples and honey and going to synagogue on Rosh Hashanah and fasting and going to synagogue on, on Yom Kippur. Very important, must be done. And if you ask the question, how is God involved in all these practices? A typical answer is, what's God got to do with it? This is just what we do, it's tradition. And so the Jewish holidays are really, what's God got to do with it holidays? They're just like the holidays of Christmas with its gift-giving and Lent, with its ashes on the forehead, of Easter, with its Sunday meal, they're all what's God gotta do with it holidays. And the four fasts during the year had become like that. What's God got to do with it? 
So when God was asked if they should continue with the fast, God said, since you brought it up, since you brought up the subject, what's God got to do with this fast? My question to you is verse five. Verse five, God says, speak unto all the people of the land and to the priests saying, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh month, even though 70 years, did you at all fast unto me, even to me? That phrase that God uses there is repeated for emphasis, unto me, even to me, fast unto me, even unto me. As a matter of fact, this phrase, fast unto me, is unique in the book of Zechariah. No other place in the Bible is this phrase used, fast unto me. Now, we normally don't think of a, of a person fasting to someone else, but this is what God was asking. Were you fasting as a religious tradition? Or were you praying as a religious tradition? Were you praying before me? Were you fasting before me? Were you fasting just to make yourself miserable? Were you fasting to try to appear unto men to fast? Or were you fasting to become what a baby is when he's hungry? I remember when Cheryl was working with her friend, Dottie, and they started talking about their husbands. I probably shouldn't even tell you this, but anyway, she's not here to get after me for it, so I will. Uh, I guess that she was working with her best friend and, and with her friend, and they started talking about their husbands, and Cheryl's friend said to Cheryl, we all know what men want. Well, God set that sexual desire in a man so he would focus on his wife. Fasting creates desire. When a baby is hungry, he wants nothing more than his mother. He knows he is hungry to his mother. His need drives him to his mother. That's what God is asking the people if they were fasting to be driven to God. You know, I used to say to Cheryl, I love you. I used to say, I loved you. You know, I stopped doing that. You know why I stopped doing that? Because every time I would say, I love you, she would respond with, what do you want? <laughs> and God continued on this subject. Did you do all these religious practices without me in the center of your thoughts? Without listening to me? Without obeying me? And so God asked them another question. In verse seven, in verse seven, he said, should you not hear the words which the Lord had, which the Lord hath cried by the former prophets when Jerusalem was inhabited and in prosperity and the cities thereof round about when men inhabited the south and the plain? So God was saying in verse seven, you should have heard the words of God when you were in prosperity. You know, people today, especially in this country, in this city, they're in relative prosperity. Let me tell you, you go to Ethiopia, they are, the people here are rich. I went to Ethiopia, I thought I was gonna go to, a, what do they call it, second world country, third world, I don't know what they call it, third world country, it's a 10th world country. Well, people here, you know, they don't have all they want, but they do have all they need. And that puts them in the mode of, so who needs God? Who needs God, I'm good, who needs God? But now is the time to hear God and to respond to him before it's too late, as it was for the rich man who lifted up his eyes in hell and was concerned that his brothers did not end in hell and wanted someone to return from the dead to warn them. And he was told by Abraham in Luke 16, 23, Luke 16, 23, and in hell, he lift up his eyes being in torments and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me 
and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus, evil things. And now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence you to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou would send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they should come unto this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, nay, Father Abraham, but if one went from the dead, they will repent. He said unto them, if they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. The whole conversation between the rich man in hell and Abraham boiled down to the point of verse seven. Verse seven, should you not hear the words which the Lord have cried by the former prophets when Jerusalem was inhabited and in prosperity and the cities thereof when men inhabited the south of the plain? Abraham was saying to the rich man in hell, you should have listened. You should have listened to the words which the Lord cried in the Bible when you felt that you didn't need God. And the point of verse seven is another one of those oh verses in the Bible. Oh, when God cries out with an oh, as in oh, I don't wanna cast you into hell. Oh, I wanna save you. Oh, I wish you would respond wisely to my invitations to be saved, as in Deuteronomy 32.29, Deuteronomy 32.29. Oh, that they were wise, that they understood this, that they would consider their latter end. God was saying, just think of what's gonna happen to you after you die. Deuteronomy 5.29, Deuteronomy 5.29. Oh, that there was such an heart in them that they would fear me and keep all my commandments always, that it might be well with them with their children forever. God wants to do well to his people, but they wouldn't submit to God and therefore let the good times roll. Isaiah 48, 18, Isaiah 48, 18. Oh, that thou hadst hearkened to my commandments, then had my peace, thy peace been as a river and thy righteousness as the waves of the sea. God wants to give peace. He wants to let the, the people be protected by imparting to them the righteousness of Christ so that when he looks on them, he doesn't see their sin, but he sees the righteousness of Christ. He says, I wanna do it so much, I wanna do it like waves of the sea that keep on coming and don't stop. Psalm 81, 13, Psalm 81, 13. Oh, that my people had hearkened unto me and Israel had walked in my ways. I should assume subdued their enemies, turned my hand against their adversaries. The haters of the Lord should have submitted themselves unto him, but their time should have endured forever. He should have fed them with the finest of the wheat and with honey out of the rock should I have satisfied thee. How terrible it is to see God yearn saying, oh, that my people, oh, that my son, oh, that my daughter. Like Abraham cried out for Ishmael, oh, that Ishmael lived before you. Here's God saying, I wish my people would have listened to me. Their enemies should have been subdued. Their needs could have been met. They could have been satisfied. He stands before all Jerusalem. He stands before all Jerusalem in Matthew 23, 37. Matthew 23, 37, he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, 
Thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee. How often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and you would not. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.